Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Robert Paler. He broke his neck in the 2017 Collegiate Rugby National Championship and was subsequently told that he would never walk or move his hands again. So he's here to talk about life since then, before then, future, all the good things about himself. So Robert, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. Really excited for this and uh, just a little bit about myself. Um, so I'm in the Sacramento Valley. That's where I'm born and raised and um, and still over here sweating it out in the summers where it's like super hot. Um, but I mean, that just reminds me of like playing sports growing up, like sports was always such a big part of my life. Like as far back as I look, I was playing some kind of sport and um, I loved it. I mean, so much of my identity and worth was around being a good athlete. And, you know, growing up, I found the sport of football at like 10. And before that, you know, nobody's playing contact sports when they're like, five years old. And, uh, you know, at, at the ripe age of 10, I, um, I finally picked it up and found something that I was, I was really good at. Like I was good in contact. Um, I had strength, I had size, I had, um, some decent speed for a person, my size with a bigger stature, um, that all played into me being a good football athlete. So I was really focused on that. And then I went over to Jesuit high school in the Sacramento area um, where sports are, are valued and competitive, but our rugby team is exceptionally successful. Um, it is the most successful high school American rugby team. Um, I think we're at the 10 or 11 national championship count, um, since they started competing, um, for that championship in 1999. So very high success rate there. And I found myself in a position where all my friends were on the team and um, I was looking, I was looking to maybe try that out and kind of diversify a little bit for my, my athletics. And, um, all my friends were saying, you know, Robert, you're a great athlete. You're good in contact. Like we got a great team. Why don't you think about trying this? So I did. And it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. The first year I was playing, I got MVP for the JV squad and was called up to, to play um, with the varsity in the national tournament that year where, where we did win a national championship and, um, you know, was, was a consistent first string starter stand in all game. I mean, I found this sport that was like my calling. I was, I wish I had found it earlier, but glad I had at least found it then. And it afforded me the opportunity to go then play rugby at UC Berkeley um, for the Cal men's rugby program. Um, a very historied program. It's the first varsity sport at Cal, actually, um, from the, the late 1800s and, um, and has been around ever since. And I believe the national championship count for the Cal men's rugby team is 33 national championships so far. And that's with the tournament starting in 1980. Um, so, you know, quick math, we got 42 years of national championships and 33 years um, that we've won in, in 15s and sevens, the two types of rugby that there are. So for me to be able to, um, you know, find the sport of rugby and then find myself on the Cal men's rugby team was, 
really a dream coming true for a rugby athlete in America. So then take us through the day of your accident. Like what, what did that feel like? Cause obviously like you just talked about how much this sport has meant to you. Yeah. That day. Um, I mean, I think about it every day now, but I thought that it was going to be the best day of my life, right? We're competing for a national championship and I'm starting as a sophomore on this rugby team, which isn't an easy or common thing to do, right? For a team that's successful, everybody on that team was the best player on their high school team. You show up and it's, it's very competitive within the team. And um, I mean, in the end of the day, the best player is going to play. And I was fortunate enough to, to have earned that slot um, as a sophomore, but I was just so excited. I, I dreamed about this moment. I prayed about this moment and, you know, it's like my whole life was leading up to this, a real day of legacy where I could one day go back to UC Berkeley with my family and kind of point to a banner on the wall and yeah, tell them the stories and, and be remembered for something. Um, it was, it was my life. I was, I was so dedicated to it. It meant so much to me. Um, you know, not just for, for myself and my own personal satisfaction, but I was so bought into to the program, to being a part of something bigger than myself. So it, winning that game was about my teammates. It was about my coaches and my family and their families, the players that came before us, the players that came after us. This was very important. So we go over to the University of Santa Clara for this game. And um, it's kind of like a mildly cloudy day. It's just perfect rugby weather. Like everything's just perfect. And uh, we won the coin toss and we decide to kick the ball off. We want to like hit him first. So the referee raises his arm. We all line up. He blows his whistle. And I'm just like dead sprint down that field. It's national championship time. Let's go, Robert. Give it all you've got kind of thing. And the opposing team commits a penalty. So we do what in rugby is called kick it into touch. We kick the ball downfield to try to gain some field position and we're about five to seven meters away from the try zone. Now, this was a very obvious mauling situation. And um, for those who don't know the game of rugby, a maul is when the bigger guys, we group together in the single unit and we push to advance the ball. And the defense's job is to come straight in and stop us from pushing forward. And it's just the boiler room. It's like where the big guys thrive. And I was a big guy. I was six foot five, about 240 pounds. I mean, I was put on this earth to move people, (laughs) moving people that don't want to be moved. And we're just five meters out from scoring this thing. So I'm practically drooling here on the field thinking, let's go Rob, drive this thing in. And as I'm doing this, the opposing players, they start making all these illegal moves and the referee is not calling anything. So I'm driving forward and three players all enter in from the side. Uh, things that you're not allowed to do in rugby, um, but the ref's not calling it. And the first player who came in, he was the number eight on that game. He bound my head into a headlock. And I was really pinning my chin down to my chest. And in rugby, if you so much as touch the head or neck, it's an automatic yellow or red card. It's an immediate suspension from the game. And still the ref's not calling it. 
But, you know, I got a job to do or it's the national championship, right? I'm not just going to stand up and throw my arms in the air and say, hey, what the heck's going on here? You got to call this. I mean, no, I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to I'm going to pound this thing in no matter what's going on. And this other player on their team, he chops me down by my legs. So I start falling to the ground. And this person with the headlock, he bears all of his weight down. So my chin is stuck down here to my chest. And as I'm falling forward, the top of my head makes impact with the ground. And my body continues to go forward while my head stays in that position. So my face slammed against my chest. And then I just felt this god-awful crunch in my neck. I immediately knew that I broke my neck because I had broken many bones before in competition. Um, but this was my neck. You know, this, this was worse than a wrist or a hand. Uh, this had serious consequence. And then, um, you know, immediately once I, once I opened my eyes after making impact, I couldn't feel anything. I could not move anything. And I screamed as loud as I could. Um, I broke my neck. I can't move. I was absolutely horrified. Now my trainers and doctors, they then run over trying to, you know, assess the situation and, you know, they're kind of poking me and asking me to wiggle my toes and, uh, you know, squeeze, squeeze their hand with my hand. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can. I can't move anything. I can't feel anything. The way I describe it is I woke up into my worst nightmare and there was no escaping it. Um, and I know I knew that I wasn't going to wake up and everything was going to be okay with this. This was not okay. This was horrible. Now I then remembered, um, you know, we get, I get structured off the field and I go over to the hospital in Santa Clara and we do a bunch of medical imaging. We do CT scans, MRIs or an MRI and x-rays. And then my doctor comes back. He's got a bad look on his face. Um, and he just gives me this very matter of fact prognosis where he says, Robert, rugby can be a dangerous game and things like this just simply can happen to people. And I, you know, by the way, I'll like hit the pause button there a little bit. This is not normal for the sport of rugby. Um, this isn't like some normal occurrence or something that I should have expected to happen. Of course. It's not out of the realm of possibility in any sense. And we all knew stepping on that field that something like this could happen. Um, but it was extremely unlikely. And in the end of the day, it was due to foul play in my situation. If the rules would have been followed, I never would have been in this situation. But going back to my story after saying that, he says that the reality of your situation, Robert, is that you will never walk again. You will never move your hands. And you will be lucky if you can do something like pick up a piece of pizza and bring it to your face. And if you can do that, you made it. If you can do that, then you be the odds. And then he recommends a surgery to me. He explains that the disc between my C5, six vertebrae ruptured into my spinal cord. I also had fracturing in my C5 and C6 vertebrae that was causing this paralysis. And um, my prognosis and future outlook would only continue to get worse unless I went into a spinal fusion surgery to replace the artificial disc and fuse those vertebrae together, essentially permanently casting those vertebrae to promote healing and regeneration. Um, and then he said, but, and there's always going to be like some kind of, but right. It's a potentially life-threatening surgery. Now it was done through the front of my neck, which is a lot of important real estate. 
At that time, I was spiking fevers up to 103, 104 degrees. My body was extremely deconditioned. Um, going into any kind of surgery would have had its risks, let alone one on a damaged spinal cord. Um, and he told me I had 30 minutes to make the decision on if I wanted to go into this potentially life-threatening surgery or not. And um, yeah, I wanted to start making phone calls. Now, I'm a man of faith. My, my Catholic faith is very important to me. And in this moment, like I needed prayers. I needed God. So I called my religious advisor. And I, actually, the only reason I called him is because I wanted him to get a priest to the hospital to give me the sacrament of anointing of the sick. That way, if I died, I would have a better chance of going to heaven. Um, and he says, you know, yes, Robert, I'll absolutely do that. But he gives me this one piece of advice before he hangs up the phone. And it's just like carried me ever since. And it gave me so much power in a powerless situation. And he said, throughout this journey, there's going to be a lot of things that you just can't control. But the one thing you still have control over is your mindset. So your positivity, your ambition, your willingness to wake up every day and fight is up to you. And this injury can't take that away from you. And I, I mean, before I had that phone call, like things were so bleak, right? There was no hope. There was nothing for me to control. My, my future had nothing, had nothing to look forward to in it. And when he gave me those words, it just erased all of that. I mean, it wasn't completely gone, but it gave me something to where I can take that with a grain of salt. I can push those emotions away and I can be logical right now. Like I can keep moving forward. I can do what's best for me in this situation and respond in the way that I need to respond rather than letting all these outside circumstances and emotions control my actions and decisions from here on out. So it gave me the strength to say, I really need to go into this surgery. So I called up a few more of my friends. My brother held the phone in front of me because obviously I couldn't hold it myself. So I could call my closest friends to let them know what happened to me that I might never see them again and that I love them. And um, that priest came in, I received the sacrament, I said my prayers and I got rolled into the operating room. I closed my eyes and that concluded May 6, 2017. And now obviously you made it through surgery. And That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Since then, you have defied uh, those original statements that the doctor told you. So what has recovery been like? So recovery is still ongoing. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm over four and a half years out into this injury now. And, uh, you know, in the beginning, it was purely survival. Um, I woke up from the surgery and it went incredible. This surgeon, he did an amazing job. And I also had to start fighting for my life after it because I couldn't swallow anything. I had all this swelling in my neck and weakness in my neck um, that I, I don't know, whatever the flap is that covers your um, your windpipe when you swallow. I, I was a business major and I, I, mean, I guess I didn't pay attention enough in high school, but we'll just call it whatever that flap is. Um, it was getting blocked whenever I would try to swallow. Um, so, you know, if I was drinking water, trying to eat, I mean, I would, I would take a swallow and I'd start choking on, um, whatever it is that I was trying to get into my stomach. And, uh, what was horrifying is I couldn't cough. Like my diaphragm was 
mostly paralyzed. I could take, you know, shallow breaths, but I couldn't generate the force to clear my lungs. So I would just sit there choking. So now eating and drinking was out of the question. Um, so we put a tube up my nose and down in my stomach took three days to get in there because I broke my nose so many times playing rugby. Um, but I was shedding weight very quickly. The muscle atrophy was immediate and very fast. I lost 60 pounds in that month. I mean, I was just watching my body just fade away in front of my eyes. And, uh, and then I contracted pneumonia, which was, it's dangerous for anyone, right? But it was particularly dangerous for me because like I said, I couldn't cough. So I'd get, you know, this buildup of phlegm in my windpipe and I, I couldn't get it out. I mean, I'd just start choking and we'd have to get nurses or my mom or um, respiratory therapists in there to start slamming down on my chest to move the stuff out of my lungs. And initially it was a battle that I was fighting with everything I had, but I was losing. I, I couldn't keep up with the buildup of, of phlegm in my lungs and my doctors told me that I might not even survive. Now I stuck with it and I, I barely slept at all. I mean, I was lucky to get a couple hours of sleep, um, each day. Um, but like the control your mindset, like it just stuck with me that throughout, throughout that whole month, um, that like, I can't control what's happening to me, but I can choose how to respond. So when a doctor comes in at 3am and he says, Hey, we're going to spend the next three hours pumping on your lungs and shoving tubes down your throat to get this stuff out of your lungs. So, so you can survive. Um, I mean, it was an immediate, yes, uh, that's what we're going to do because that's, what's going to get me better. And that's, what's going to keep me alive. Um, so I kept moving forward. And then after that month, I got medically stabilized. So we start looking for a hospital for me to go to, to do rehabilitation. Um, Santa Clara Valley medical center where I was, did have rehabilitation. Um, they had a shorter stay than what I was hoping for because it was a public hospital. So we started opening up our search options and we found a hospital called Craig hospital in Denver, Colorado. They specialize in spinal cord injury and traumatic brain injury recoveries. And I show up, this place is very different. Um, you know, at first we had this very bleak prognosis, um, and pretty definitively bleak prognosis too, like very little chance of any sort of hope. Um, but then I showed up to Craig, which only deals with this kind of stuff. And they're like, Robert, we don't know what's going to happen to you or how you're going to progress. Um, you might walk out of these doors one day and you very well might not. But the one thing we will guarantee you is that we will give you everything that modern science and medicine has to offer. And we will push you as hard as you want to go. And I said, I did not come here for a vacation and to look out at the beautiful view of the Rocky Mountains. I came here to give everything that I have. Um, and that's what we did. I mean, it was eight to nine hours of very intense rehabilitation. Um, at first, that was just me like picking up a marble and moving it into a jar or, you know, just flipping over cards, like flipping up a whole deck of cards. I mean, just these little tasks that, I mean, honestly, it kind of feels demoralizing, right? It's like dehumanizing in a way. Um, why should anybody have to struggle to just pick up a marble or feed themselves? I mean, it, it, all those moments, it really felt like, um, like suffering, like it was encroaching 
on the realm of, of really suffering, mentally suffering, and uh, in the beginning, physically suffering. Um, but instead, I mean, I tried to take the just struggling through it approach, like that same attitude that I had in the gym when I was getting ready to compete in a, in a big rugby match or work my way up the lineup. It was that same kind of mentality um, to these to these workouts that I was doing. And as I persevered with those small workouts, you know, it was probably six weeks into my injury that, you know, I looked down at my hand and I can see just a little flicker in one of my fingers. And about eight weeks into my injury, when I looked down at my toes and I was doing everything I can to try and wiggle them. Um, and I get just like a flicker of movement, a couple of my toes. Um, and you know, that gives me like more hope to keep moving forward. And, you know, I turn that twitch into all my fingers and all my toes having that twitch and then building up the strength of the signal from my brain to those muscles to, um, to eventually, you know, be able to get some, some real motion out of it and then some strength to, um, focus on real, real, um, intense daily activities for a person in a wheelchair, like being able to get dressed or being able to shower, being able to feed myself and, and one day being able to walk. So I spent about a year in that hospital. And um, when I left on April 13th of 2018, I walked out of the hospital doors um, with my walker and um, returned back to UC Berkeley, where I graduated in 2020 with my degree um, from the Haas School of Business. And um, while continuing to work in my rehab to where I can stand up out of this wheelchair now on my own and I can walk about 400 yards. Um, it's It's been a heck of a journey and there's a lot of like mental tools that I have to use to help help keep me pushing on this journey um, because I've made a lot of progress today, but it's not over yet. And I know that there's challenges ahead of me, but I know that I can overcome them. And um, I know that whether I get out of this wheelchair or not, I'm going to continue to work towards having having good health and, um, and working at achieving these goals. But it's it's certainly been a long journey. Yeah, it sounds like it. And the mentality like that determination, it, it seems to really have helped along, of course, with all of the doctors and the, the rehab with that, but having that right mindset and not being like, I just can't deal with it anymore and, and wanting yeah. to push forward. Yeah. I, you have to have it. Um, I mean, ha having a good mindset is, is more important than anything. I mean, if we, that that's like the command center, right? That's what controls our, our bodies and the things that, that we do with our lives. It doesn't matter um, you know, what, what we're equipped with in our lives, if we don't have the right mindset to be able to use it. And, um, I mean, I'm so fortunate that I did have, um, you know, good, good advice in the beginning of this, but I, I'm a lucky person. I've had a lot of support from my family and my friends, and I, I don't spend any time by myself, any time alone. Um, I've had so much help and, I mean, I'm grateful for that. Um, it's it's helped me to keep that good mindset and um, and keep moving because, like I said, you just you have to have it. Right now, what was it like finishing out your college career while in rehab or like while doing rehabilitation, and then simultaneously not being able to play rugby? 
Yeah. Going back to college, um, it was amazing and it had its challenges as well. I mean, I was grateful for really every day um, and every moment because I had a perspective that I carried with me of remembering just how much I would give to be at college and to work on my homework and go work out, like all these things that I found myself complaining about very often and many people complain about. Um, I remembered that position where I would have given anything to be able to be at school and have a hard day. I mean, how much better is that than what I was dealing with in the hospital where I was just struggling to breathe and survive and I always maintained that perspective. So I came in and, you know, I think the expectation from a lot of people was, you know, that I would come and I'd maybe take a couple classes each semester, um, you know, a very much reduced course load and um, that I would maybe work out a couple of days a week. And um, I was like, no, I'm going to take a full course load, um, you know, in the number one business school program in the, in the country or the number one public university in the country. Um, and I'm going to work out at least five days a week, um, you know, with, with my rugby coach who stepped up to the plate in such an amazing way. I mean, the things he's done is for me, is just unparalleled, um, to be able to work out with my rugby coach and also, um, through a neurokinetic Pilates program. That's a big word. Um, that UC Berkeley, um, had a program for at the time. Um, I mean, I, I really went for it and, you know, I was, I was thrown into the deep end, um, a lot. And, you know, I woke up in the morning and it was time for like 8am classes, um, because I got that on my schedule or a 7am workout. And, you know, my alarm's going off at 545 because it, I can't just get up in five minutes and get out the door anymore. You know, it, it takes me time to, to get dressed and to get ready for the day. Um, when that alarm went off, you can bet I wanted to, I wanted to hit the snooze button and, um, you know, I wanted to moan and groan and have a, have a bad attitude about it all. Like those temptations were always trying to bombard their way in. But, um, but what overpowered all of that was that really strong perspective um, that I gained having gone through this injury and, um, and a gratitude to be able to go to school, to push myself and, and get the most out of this one life that I have. Um, this injury has certainly taken a lot from me, but it's given me so much more. And, um, and that's something that I, I hope everybody could like take out of this podcast is that power of perspective. Um, we don't have to have it just through our own experiences. We can gain it through the experiences of others as well. And, um, you know, it's, it's really helped me a lot. That's good to hear. Yeah. Now you mentioned, you know, the inability to get ready in the morning in five minutes. What, (laughs) what else has been a big life change for you? Yeah. I mean, everything has changed in some way, um, throughout my day. You know, I wake up in the morning and, uh, you know, I don't get to just like rub the sleep out of my eyes and kind of like stretch out and yawn. I like, I wake up to full body spasms, um, every single day, my legs shoot out. Um, and they, I mean, they shake really violently and my fingernails are like digging into my palms. I mean, it's, 
it's the greatest cup of cup of coffee you could ever have um, is is one way you could put it. <laughs> and uh, but it's a it's a real immediate reminder that what I go through is so real. Um, yeah, this this is no dream. There is no break from this. I have no break from paralysis, and it affects every part of my day from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed. Um, and you know, getting dressed, yeah, that is that is a big thing. Um, that's changed in my life. But you know, I think the biggest thing that I encountered, and um, I mean, it's not like a task per se, but but changed so much and was hard for me to get over was a shift in identity that I had. Because, you know, like I was saying in the beginning of the podcast, like I was a very proud athlete. Um, I loved like walking into a room and like being the big guy. Um, you know, for us, for us, like tall people, we're always looking around and, and checking that we're the tallest person in the room or whatever. Um, you know, and, and now like, I mean, I'm sitting down, I'm, I'm the shortest person in every room that I go to now. And um, I mean, you know, like I said, I lost 60 pounds just in the first month of my injury. Like I, I looked in the mirror and I just see like the ridges in my sternum and, you know, my, like the outlines of my ribs, like all these things, um, like atrophied arms and, and legs. Like I just, I looked in the mirror and I could hardly see myself. I was like looking at a different person. It was so drastic, um, from, from what I was before my injury and how I, how I looked and the things that I did. Um, so Coming, coming back to Cal, especially where I wasn't in a hospital environment where everybody was dealing with a similar ailment to me and presented in that same way. Um, I mean, it, it wasn't extremely un, uncommon um, to see other people who had physical uh, disabilities or physical deformities like I was dealing with. Um, but it, was, it wasn't that common. Really, I mean, I was, you know, I was surrounded by able-bodied people all the time, so it was kind of the other side of that perspective that was all that also um, was trying to creep into my life and still does to this day. Um, it's been a real journey for me to like embrace my new identity, um, and that's in the way that I look and the things that I can do. And I think the thing that really changed it for me was being able to inspire other people because I started, you know, people would ask, um, you know, about my story and started doing podcasts and um, some news interviews and stuff because um, my story was kind of popular, like around the Bay Area and like the greater rugby community. Um, people were inspired by it, um, but I hadn't really told that story. It was just kind of updates online that, you um, that my mom had had given and, and my best friend's mom who ran my GoFundMe page. And um, so finally I found myself in a space where I had like the physical capacity to actually share the story with my own words. And uh, and people were really taken to it. And you now I'd wake up in the morning, it's the first thing I do, like I start reading like my Instagram DMs and uh, like replying to those and you know, liking the messages and stuff like that. And it just puts me like in such a good space um, to be able to read the messages of people who are like, you know, Robert, you are so inspiring to me. Um, and people sharing really, uh, really heartfelt, deep experiences. Like I just recently lost a loved one due to COVID and, um, and it's really affected me. But I see how you just keep getting up every day. You keep moving forward. You have such great, great faith and positivity and 
it's been so infectious to me and you're helping me get through this period or um, people were saying like I've had a really really bad weight problem and um, it's just kind of something that I always tried to address but was never really able to do so successfully but I see how you just you continue to move forward Um, you continue to to move in pursuit of this goal and I'm down 40 pounds on the year Um, I like I read stuff like that and it gives, it shows me the new purpose I have for my life and the new identity I have for my life. And this gift that my injury gave me because I never would have been able to do any of these things if I didn't break my neck, like if I didn't become paralyzed. Now, obviously, like, I don't recommend that anybody goes out there and breaks their necks. I mean, it's, it's, it's been extremely challenging, but, um, but I, I do feel so blessed to be able to have this, this gift to inspire people now. So, you know, when I look in the mirror and I see myself in this wheelchair still, I mean, I, I see a person who perseveres. I see a person who inspires someone. I don't see someone who's lost so much. I see someone who's gained so much. And, um, and that's, that's really changed my, my perception of, of my identity and my self-worth. Um, but it was, it was a challenge. It was a challenge to get there. It took time and it took a, a lot of reflection, but I'm, I'm, I'm finally there. I'm, I'm very in love with my life. Which is so awesome. Now embracing your new identity, is there still room or do you think there will be room in the future for continued athleticism? Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly hope so. Um, like I, you know, once I graduated from college, I really started getting dedicated to my speaking. And, uh, I also wrapped up the first draft of the manuscript for my book, which I'm, I'm really excited for about, and I'm, I hope will be on a shelf and maybe about a year. Um, there's still plenty to do for that. Um, and then I also, um, I work for Cal athletics. Um, still it's called the big C society. It's Cal's varsity letter winner community or alumni network. So, um, I mean, I've, I really, I enjoy having all these things to do and um, responsibilities and just being able to be productive because, you know, that was always my goal when I graduated from college. I wanted to have a good career and, um, and do well in that, in that regard. And I'm lucky that now it's all such mission-based, purpose-based work um, that takes up the majority of my time and along with rehab, um, which I continue to pursue just about every single day you know, over 1700 days later. Um, so we'll see if, if athletics creep in, honestly, I I couldn't tell you if it will or not right now. I know I certainly don't have like the bandwidth to have like, um, you know, organized athletics right now. My, my rehab is, is, is athletic as I get, um, which is certainly quite a bit. Um, but I, I definitely miss that team environment and, um, you know, setting those kinds of goals with a group of other players and, working to be excellent at something, at something with others. Um, there's, there's just no way to replicate that, um, in other ways. The, the way that I find it at least is, is always through sports. And, uh, so we'll see, they have wheelchair rugby out there, which is like crazy. It's like full contact in the chair. Um, I mean, it's just nuts. It doesn't look anything like the sport of like able-bodied rugby, um, but, uh, yeah, I, I certainly, I certainly miss, uh, I miss contact. I, I miss roughing it up out there with some people. So 
may, maybe that'll be in my future. Um, but I definitely stay busy otherwise. Right. I, I've always thought rugby looks like the most dangerous sport <laughs> out there. So like to let alone know that there, that there is wheelchair rugby, like, yeah. I mean, good, good for the people who are out there doing that. That's great. Yeah. Some of us, some of us just can't get enough. You'd think you like to break your neck once and that, that would just be enough and you kind of get the warning, but I guess, I guess not. <laughs> no, but the, the wheelchair takes all, all the hits. So, <laughs> so it's pretty different, um, you know, but, but it's, it's pretty crazy. I love like watching them play and practice. They're, they're awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. so what are your current rehab goals? Mm-hmm. So the main goal, which I set on day one and I continue to work to pursue is to never need my wheelchair again, to be completely independent of my wheelchair. Um, and I don't care if that's with a walker or a cane or nothing at all. That's, that's my main goal. So all the things that I do now are in pursuit of that goal. So right now my, my rehabilitation uh, consists of walking just about every day and I walk as far as I can walk. Now, you know, I've said on this podcast that my maximum is, is about 400 yards, um, which is true. And I mean that, but that fluctuates, uh, you know, some days I'm able to go 400 and then the next day after, you know, I'm eating healthy, I got a good night's rest. Like maybe I'm only able to go 200. That's the nature of a spinal cord injury. Our nervous system is not always, not always going to perform the same every day, but, um, you know, whether I'm going 400 yards or 50 yards, I'm still giving the same amount of effort. Actually, I'm probably giving more effort when I go less yards to be completely honest, because I'm, I mean, I'm just fighting for like every inch. Um, but I always start out with walking and then I move on working from that sit to stand motion and I rep it out as much as I can. Um, and then on the weekends I get on an electrical stimulation bike. You put these pads on your muscles that they deliver an electric current to the muscle. It forces it to contract. Um, and as you, the patient send signals to those muscles, you know, from the brain to their muscles in combination with the electrical stimulation, it helps to build a stronger connection for your nervous system while also strengthening your muscles when um, your nervous system just might be so fatigued that you can't have that strong of a contraction on your own. And um, then I'll finish that up with a stretch. Now that would be a full workout for me. That'd be about three hours long. So um, that's what I do on the weekends. And during the weekdays, I just do the first two parts there of the walking and the sit to stands. Um, but I mean, it's like building a skyscraper brick by brick, um, just these little incremental improvements that just add up over time. And I don't see the difference day to day or usually even week to week. I can't see any improvement. The scope has to come out to months and years. But when I step back and have that scope, this progress is undeniable. So Right now, I'm just taking baby steps. Like my next goal is I'm going to be able to stand up from my couch with ease. Um, that's that's going to be a big step for me to be able to walk around just around my house independently. And then I want to be standing up from my car and maybe like from a restaurant booth, like just these real functional steps that I can see, like really visually in my head, see leading to me one day throwing this wheelchair off a cliff and saying, thank you for everything you gave me. Um, for all those years. Um, but, uh, you know, 
I'm very happy to to be on my feet and um, and to inspire hopefully thousands of people in the process. And I think you're doing a great job of that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Have you run into accessibility barriers since being confined to a wheelchair? Oh yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. All the time, there's accessibility barriers. Um, I mean, it's it's constant, right? It's going down the sidewalk, and for whatever reason, they don't have a you know slope to get off the curb, and they're just thinking, oh gosh, um, you know, how, now I gotta like pop some crazy wheelie, and I'm like, you know, slamming my wheelchair down on the ground like it's nuts. Or there was tons of times in college when you know, I'd be out with my friends Friday night, Saturday night, whatever. And, um, we're going to like, you know, another friend's house or some party or something. I mean, it's just like stairs for days to get into the house. And, um, just kind of like, well, I, you know, I guess that's the end of the night for me. Um, you know, moments like that really suck. Um, there's no way around it. It, it, it always sucks. And, um, you always have to be able to, to take that with a grain of salt and, um, and, try to appreciate the things that you do have and the things that you can do, not the things that you can't do, even though everybody else can do it. Um, yeah, it's a real, it's a real perspective challenge, uh, to be able to move on from stuff like that. But you know, the accessibility challenges, yeah, they're constant, but I mean, I'm really lucky to be living in America. Um, this is probably the most accessible country that exists, um, in the world. Um, so I'm very fortunate to have that. Um, a lot, a lot of those challenges I don't have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, but they certainly come up and, um, and I just, the whole challenge is just not letting those little things affect me and my day. Like I'm probably going to be able to get around it in some way if I have some help from other people. Um, you know, and that's, that's allowed me to do a lot of things like being able to get back into the outdoors with something that I really loved before my injury and have been able to do since my injury that a lot of other people in wheelchairs are never able to have back um, in the same capacity. So I, I feel really grateful for that or being able to go on trips and see new places. Um, these are all things that I'm really grateful for, but I've been able to do that because when these roadblocks come ahead of me, I don't, you know, I don't let it just completely ruin my, my day and my mood and, and my mindset. Um, you know, I try to just, just internalize it. It's, it's just a thing. Um, and we, you know, if we can fix it, great. If we can't, that's okay. Let's do something else. Um, that's, that's what helps keep me going forward. Cause yeah, there's accessibility issues all the time. Yeah. And you got to wish that it was not that way, that accessibility was more of a consistent. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. I mean, in the end of the day, Things that make life easier for me or anybody else in a wheelchair makes life easier for everybody across the road. Like who's mad when they have to walk up a ramp instead of walking upstairs or um, when there's too many elevators or too much parking um, around in, in the area? I mean, all these things just make life easier for everybody. So, but um, the thing is mo- most people are, are ignorant to most of those, those issues and those needs. And I know that I certainly was before I got hurt. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't look around and, and see the world the same way that I see it now. Um, because I wasn't in a wheelchair and I personally didn't really know anybody on a close level 
who had to deal with that. And, and a lot of people don't. Um, but it's, it's up to, to me and people like me to speak up and, and make sure people are aware when, when there's, there's a real issue, um, that, that can be fixed. Um, cause yeah, a lot, a lot of people just don't, just don't know that stuff and who can blame them. Right. Yeah. Now, are you able to live a mostly independent life? Yes, I am. <laughs> I am. So, I mean, pretty much the only thing that I don't do is like take out the trash and do the laundry, which I, I never really enjoyed doing <laughs> even before my injuries. So, um, no, I'm able to, to get myself dressed and, um, you know, to do all the work that I need to do, um, you know, cook in and feed myself. Like those are things that I, I like, I love cooking, especially like barbecuing and stuff. Like I get all excited about it. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm I can do that on my own and, um, I'm not driving yet. Uh, I'm still in the process of, of getting around and driving, but um, I certainly don't mind being chauffeured around from time to time. I, it's not too bad to be able to kick back and take a nap or, or just relax or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, I've, I've regained almost my, almost my full independence, um, which is very significant for an injury like mine. Um, took a lot of work to get there and you know, I think a lot of the times most people are, are very focused on just the walking component of this injury. Um, but I mean, that's just one part of a very long list of things that I've had to work to regain. I mean, just being able to, to move my hands has made a significant um, change in my life, probably even greater than any progress I've made with my lower extremities. Um, so I'm very, very grateful to have that. Yeah, it's so great to hear like how far you've come and how your mindset has been throughout the last few years. Now, before I start to wrap things up, is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners? Yeah, um, I mean, just kind of like closing thoughts. I always, I always try to get the message out there to appreciate every day and every moment because it is such a gift. And it's kind of the advice that I would give to myself if I could talk to myself at the beginning of this injury. Um, because like I said earlier on in the podcast, like my faith is really important to me. And I always pray before I, I go to sleep each night. And uh, at the beginning of each nightly prayer, I would always start it by saying, God, thank you for this day. And uh, when I was in that hospital, and I was fighting for my life, it was really, really tough for me to say, God, thank you for this day. Um, and that's understandable, right? But looking back on this journey and everything that those days gave me um, and the positives that I still had in my life in that moment and that I still have now, um, it helps me appreciate just what a gift every single day is because the next day is never guaranteed. Life can change so fast. And I've seen that. Um, and it's, it's easy to lose that, lose that realization. Um, when we just keep waking up and going to bed and repeating the cycle over and over and over again. Um, but that, that cycle was broken for me at one point. And, um, and now being able to reflect on this journey to see, how this curse that that most people would interpret in my life has has turned into a gift um, helps me to have that realization 
and understanding that every day is a gift, that I should be grateful for every day that I'm alive. Um, that's certainly what I would, what I would tell myself. And, um, I hope, I hope that other people can live that way too, because, uh, life is truly to be enjoyed. And, um, every day that, that we're alive, I, I think is a good day. Definitely. Yeah. Now at the end of every episode, I do ask a random question. Okay. I'd like to end it on a, a different note. So my question for you, um, just thinking outside of the injury and everything that's happened. So if there's an applicable answer there, I want something else. Um, <laughs> what is the best physical gift that you've ever gotten? Like someone giving me like a present type thing? Yes. Best physical gift. Mm. Well, to see, the problem with this is there's going to be some people with their feelings hurt. <laughs> if I, if I... Don't think about other people's feelings. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Man, I, I don't know. I haven't really thought of this i'm definitely hurting feelings right now by just thinking of it my best physical gift someone's out there thinking oh i gave him this thing and that's not the first thing that came to mind i know i know you know what the one that like made me the most excited is just like coming up into my mind right now um so i'll I'll just lock this one in as my answer was when i got an electric bass for christmas um Gosh, I think it was, it was like my sophomore or junior year of high school. Um, I like I love playing instruments, and that was that was like so much like a, a part of what I did before my injury. Actually, like I played the French horn in the band and um, like conducted the band. Like I, I loved it, and but I like but the French horn like wasn't necessarily regarded as like a cool <laughs> instrument. You know, like there's not a lot of people like um, sitting on a street corner playing a French horn. Uh, but so I wanted to learn how to play the electric bass and yeah, like my parents, uh, you know, got that for me one Christmas and I just like, I love just slapping that thing and playing some good songs. Like, yeah, I love playing the bass. It's fun. All right. That brings this episode to a close. I will be leaving Robert's website in the description. And of course he'll be tagged on social media when I make the posts for this episode. So feel free to go connect with him and check all of that out. And of course the podcast website is in the description as well. So that brings you to all of our social media, all past episodes, contact information, good stuff is all there. And also in the description is a link to donate to the podcast if you would like to support us monetarily and my email address if you would like to connect directly with me. So thank you so much, Robert, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. Thanks so much.